Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. So I do want to invite you to turn to your Bible please to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, really a great another great part of the scriptures we have a sermon that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount and uh, we are considering just the uh, opening verses known to us as the Beatitudes and moving on this morning to the third of those Beatitudes. I'm going to read just from verse 2 and going down to verse 5. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's the beatitude we're going to look at this morning. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Our Father, we do again bow our heads before you. We understand, I certainly want to understand and acknowledge this morning that we are those who constantly need to be Lord not only declaring your majesty in the words that we speak but Lord also in the lives that we live. And so as we come to your word week by week praying that your word would continue to challenge us, enable us to respond, Lord that we would be those who are willing to submit and conform to that which you have revealed about yourself and Lord that which you want of us we pray. And so asking for your spirit to be at work here today in Jesus name. Amen. Well, wonder when last you went to the dentist. Um I don't like going to the dentist, but I go. And this passage when I started looking at it reminded me of the dentist. But not the dentist on a good visit. The dentist when the dentist strikes a nerve. Have you been there? The drill is going and uh, it's not supposed to hurt and suddenly it feels like they're drilling into your jaw and it's sore. It's disturbing and and this this beatitude in another way of putting it gets close to the bone. It really does it's it's a challenging beatitude and it is because it challenges our personal dealings with each other. I preach this message this morning aware that this is a challenge to me. Like you, I'm part of community and part of society, part of a community of faith and understand and want to learn and also want to admit it's difficult at times in the context of relationships. but we cannot avoid the important reality that meekness ought to be evident in the life of a believer and so to begin with i just want to in this introduction uh, connect again the different beatitudes and going back to the very first one which i identified as the key to all of these beatitudes uh, being poor in spirit the response of being poor in spirit is because we are confronted by a holy god as sinful people 
understanding the fact that we have to face this God, that we must be accountable to this God, that we will be accountable to this God, and we fall horribly short. Lord, I'm in trouble. Which leads us to the second beatitude of mourning, placing us in a a position of helplessness. There is nothing I can do in and of myself. There is nothing I can bring. And so, Lord, I mourn the reality of me being subjected to your wrath, subjected to your condemnation, subjected to your judgment, unless you intervene by grace. And, of course, pointing us to Jesus, the reality of our sin and the dire consequences. Well, as we move on, as as I've said, blessed are the meek, We've reached a point where other people, each other, enter into the picture. Of course, along with our relationship to God. How we relate to God matters. How we relate to each other matters. And so we are going to see here today that the way we Christians relate or ought to relate to God, the way we ought to relate to each other is unnatural. It goes against the grain of our natural sinful nature and our natural tendencies, that which we uh, often default to. My earliest recollection of meekness goes back to being a little boy, my mother putting us to bed at night, my dad often worked late, And she made us kneel next to our beds. Four of us children, I shared a room with my brother. And she taught us to recite a prayer. And it's uh, the only prayer they ever taught me. Uh, Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You know it? Look upon this little child. Pity my simplicity. Suffer me to come to thee. So that's what I grew up with. Out of habit, I used to kneel next to my bed as a little boy until I was a teenager, I think, and I thought, hang on, I better learn something else. That was it. But one thing I knew, there was something about God, there's something about Jesus that he was gentle, that Jesus was meek. The other thing I learned in those younger days, I did grow up in Johannesburg in the south of Joburg, which is the poorer and rougher part of town, and my mom taught us boys not to retaliate in the fist fights that were common in our street. She kept repeating to my brother and I, you do not enter into a fist fight. You come running home. And so we were sissies. All right, so that, that was my understanding that uh, to a large extent in, in the formative years and, and perhaps even Uh, studying this parable has taught me so much more about uh, about this not this parable this this beatitude Uh, seeing here from Jesus in this beatitude that meekness is a blessing or should I put that differently there is a blessing in meekness that we need to dig around and see how can we learn, how can we grow in this Christian virtue. So I have two main points this morning, and the first one I want to consider is meekness toward God. Meekness toward God. 
Meekness toward God, as I have thought about this again and again, and also I've leaned quite heavily in my study on a book by Thomas Watson on the Beatitudes, has a lot to do with the conviction, the intensity of conviction that you and I would have regarding the sovereignty of God. Now, I think we all claim to believe in the sovereignty of God. But we have a different detail or content to what we understand the sovereignty of God to be. Well, the sovereignty of God certainly shows us that God knows or should show us that God knows what is best. I think most would agree with that. And why does he know what is best? Because God is all-wise. God is all-knowing. And, and, in, and in this uh, unwavering conviction of, meek, of, 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 of the sovereignty of God, there ought to be a meekness that, that, that we respond to in God. Even to take it a step further. It's a conviction of the scripture that we often quote to each other that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Folk, I want to remind you this morning that everything that happens, whether it be the Middle East or Ukraine or even our state president uh, speech on, on Thursday night, uh, is under the sovereign hand of God. God either permits it or God designs it. But God is not standing with the hands off position. God is involved, God is orchestrating, God is working, God is bringing about his redemptive purposes. And so all these even difficult things around us, the difficult things that happen to us, are used by God to work together for good. Do you really believe that? I confess I sometimes struggle to believe that. Some things are really not nice. But the more convinced we are of Romans 8 verse 28, without reservation, the more meekness would be evident in our lives as believers. And I'm going to show you that in two ways. The first instance is submitting to God's will. Meekness aims, and I'll quote Thomas Watson, he says, meekness aims for an attitude, so this is a disposition, this is the way we, we, we feel from the inside, an attitude to carry ourselves calmly without swelling or murmuring under the dispensations of providence. In other words, to put that in simple English for even younger people, boys and girls here this morning, it's not murmuring, it's not complaining, it's not whining about the difficult things that happen in life, but rather to say, Lord, you have permitted this, you have designed this, how will you use this for good and for the accomplishment of of your purposes? How will you weave this into the tapestry that you're producing that will bring glory to your name? Here's a, an example. Eli, an attitude of heart uh, exposed in a season where there was an unwelcome uh, 
news, hard circumstances that surround him, being told by Samuel of the punishment of his, that was to come onto his family because of their sin. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 18. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, this is Eli's response. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now, folks, that's a huge lesson. That is a huge lesson. It is for us to learn that God is the potter and we are the clay. Sometimes we want to be the potter and we want God to be the clay. It's the wrong way around. To rest in the shaping influence of being in His hands. I'm preaching to myself. Because God knows best. That which seems good to Him, and it doesn't feel good to me, it doesn't seem good to me. Now I need to add here, of course, that the virtue of meekness does not bypass the experience of a broken heart. How can you avoid the reality of some of the difficulties that occur in life, thinking in terms of disappointment of uh, grief, uh, disappointment of being unemployed, disappointment of poverty or hunger? How do we understand that? We feel it. There's, there's pain. Our hearts are broken. But as we navigate that pathway, we must remember, we must remind ourselves, God is at work. God is at work. Now that's not a natural ability. Without growing faith, faith comes from the word of God as we subject ourselves to the word, without growing faith and the enabling of the, the fruit of the spirit, there will not be resting in the will of God who is all wise. But meekness toward God goes a step further and it's evident in believing, in the believer believing, not only submission to God's will, but what I've called this morning being supple to God's will. Meekness aims for a willingness to be poured into the mold of the likeness of Jesus. Talama, I missed your children's talk uh, I had to go back to the hill to fetch a parcel that somebody had sent and I got stuck in the traffic and I only got here almost just before I preached. But I, did you give it? You gave it. Did you hear his message this morning? We are messed up people out of shape and we need to be massaged or we need to be poured into a new shape, the shape of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need. That's what every one of us need. And so in meekness, the believer is conscious of the ongoing process of sanctification and aware of the active participation in change. It's being supple, it's being pliable, it's being flexible to the shaping influence of God from the full scope of his revelation in Scripture. That's hard, isn't it? His word is the mold that dictates how the shape of our lives must conform. Our marriages, our parenting, the way we conduct ourselves as single people in every aspect that we live our lives as citizens, as we share together in the community of faith. 
meekness and sinful stubbornness cannot coexist. Here's another quote from Watson, and I love the language of these old guys. He says, he is spiritually meek who conforms himself to the mind of God. Everybody says amen, of course, and does not quarrel with the instructions of the word, but with the corruptions of the heart. Don't fight with God, (laughs) fight with your heart. Well, secondly, not only meekness toward God, but what about meekness toward people? Meekness is a grace whereby we are enabled by the Spirit of God to moderate our passion. It's grace, it's a fruit of the Spirit. By nature, our hearts are like the troubled sea, casting forth the foam of anger and wrath. Meekness calms the storm of passion. Meekness of spirit not only makes us suitable for communion with God, but for godly engagement with men and women and children. So practically, and there's a whole bunch of practical application uh, that uh, kind of feels like the repeated uh, intrusion of the dentist into the jawbone, but I'm going to tackle them anyway. Practically, meekness shows itself in the first category when people attack us. It happens. A meek spirit can be likened to wet sticks of wood that are not easily set alight even when we are unfairly attacked. It's seen in the reaction of the psalmist, and, and, and these, this particular beatitude does reflect on Psalm 37 that I'll mention just now, but yes, Psalm 38. Those who seek my life, the psalmist said, lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt, speak ruin and mediate, uh, meditate treachery all day long. But yes, his response, I'm like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. Secondly, meekness is the opposite of hasty reaction. Something I struggle with myself. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9 has wisdom. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Now we need to pause there and think. And here's where all of Scripture is important for us to consider. There is such a thing as holy anger. We are people with emotion. We need to understand. We need to, of course, moderate our emotion. But the danger is to let anger fester, that we let anger lead to sin, which will facilitate the work of the devil. Again, a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, be angry, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, but and give no opportunity to the devil. I think it is important, I said just now, that we ought to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, uh, (laughs) described himself as gentle. Matthew chapter 11, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I'm meek, in other words. And you will find rest for your souls. Of course that's true. 
And we ought to emulate that. We need to imitate that. And yet it was not without passion that he was not without passion. When? When there were circumstances and actions and behavior that was an abomination to God. The zeal for God's house consumed Jesus. John chapter 2 verse 14, we read, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there, and he pushed their tables over gently. No. He making a whip of cords. He drove them out of the temple with sheep and oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And folk, there are appropriate times when the wet stick, sticks need to be set alight. Next one. Meekness is opposed to malice. Wishing someone harm. Ever done that? In return for the hurt that they've caused you, is nothing less than mental murder. The Apostle John writes in his letter, first letter, chapter 3, verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Sobering observation regarding malice in the heart. When you link that together with participation at the Lord's table, should make us sit back and really consider where we're at. Watson says, and I'll quote the scripture, he says, to a malicious man, all the holy ordinances turn to poison. The table of the Lord is a snare. Say, hang on, Watson, where do you get that from? Well, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 29 says this, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So important. See how this takes us back to mourning, how it takes us back to poverty of spirit, how it points us to Jesus. Meekness also is opposed to revenge. The scriptures forbid revenge. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, this is Romans 12, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To take revenge on someone is to take God's responsibility out of his hands. God, you're not going to do this. I don't believe you're going to do it. I don't trust you're going to do it. I'm going to stand in your place. In Jeremiah, the Lord is addressed as the Lord is a God of recompense. He will surely repay. What about reacting when your life is in danger? I think that's a consideration. Does meekness require you to be passive? No. And again, Watson helps me here. He says... As it is right that a man take up a sword for self-preservation, else he comes under the breach of the sixth commandment, he will be guilty of self-murder. And the point is, there are times when an evil action requires a response. But just something important that I, I learned certainly this week, just in clarity, in clarifying my mind, not, uh, uh, not revenge by an individual. 
Just think about that for a minute. Not revenge by an individual. Romans chapter 12 verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but in the same passage we read there there about justice appointed by the delegated authority. So we don't walk around as people, as Christians, as the community of faith and simply bury our heads in the sand when it comes to evil. No. There's an appointed authority. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And in the church we have a structure. We have an accountability to each other, to the elders, to the Lord. Meekness is opposed to evil speaking. We call that slander. Why do we slander? Thought about that? What's what's the motive in slander? The purpose of slander is to put another person down, to do so with the intent of convincing hearers to think less of that person. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Again, the description here is so explicit. This blatant command that comes to us because of our sinful nature, because we have the tendency, here's our problem, here's our tendency with the sinful nature. It's like that of the old serpent, Watson says, to spit our venom at one another in disgraceful insults. And James speaks to that as the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. All right, so that's a challenging section. Certainly I have found that to be the case. But practically speaking, meekness not only shows itself when people attack us, but it shows us in the forgiving of offenses. The second prong of meekness is forgiving those who offend us, those who hurt us. And there are many scriptures. I'm going to refer to two. Whenever you stand, Mark 11, uh, praying... Forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. A meek spirit is a forgiving spirit. A meek spirit knows, as revealed in the parable of the two debtors, I often quote this, those who are around and close to me know it. We believers, those who are the one, the one, who has been forgiven by God, the one who has an indescribable, infinite indebtedness to God, has had that debt written off. That's the the message of that parable. Can do no other than forgive the fellow, our fellow human being, who has a lesser debt toward us. Matthew 18, his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Difficult. Gospel is good news, but taking up the gospel, taking up our cross and following Jesus has some huge challenges. 
How many times, how many times might I put up with this nonsense? How many times should we forgive the one who sins against us? Is it seven times, asked Peter? No, says Jesus. Seventy times seven. Well, let me end with my third point, which is a briefer point, the blessing of meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we need to think about this blessing, this consideration, this promise that the meek, the believer, inherits the earth. We inherit the blessing of it. But I know what people are thinking. I certainly was thinking of this. It appears to us, even as we sit here this morning, that the wicked man and the wicked woman has the blessing of the earth. They do. But not as a blessing, as a fruit. They do not have it as a fruit of God's favor. Let me try and explain that. Some months ago, we had a spate of intruders jumping fences. Uh, in fact, it was probably two years ago before Carol passed away. We had a, a number of intruders jumping across the backyards and stealing. We discovered that, I think it was two or three houses down from us, that these intruders had poisoned the dogs. Of course, the intruders were not found. But it wasn't long, and we saw that our dog also suffered from poison. Started having seizures, and we had to have the dog put down. Now, here's my point. The wicked person, the wicked have the world, have the earth, he has it as a dog has a poisoned piece of steak. My dog enjoyed eating that piece of meat that was filled with poison. But only enjoyed the pleasure of that juicy whatever it was for a season. You see, delighted to have the piece of steak, the wicked are delighted to have been so lucky to have the world, so lucky to engage in all this blessing, thinking that, to savor the taste of it for a while. It does him more harm than good. Let me give you some examples. Pursuing self-indulgent lifestyles. We live in a context today, in a culture where anything and anything goes. You feel like you want to do it, do it, and the world approves. They applaud. But to be a man and you're a woman, uh, be a man. If you want to... Uh, Go off and do anything you like. You can do it. Well, people have been doing that down through the ages, but more so in terms of how we understand prostitution, people following sensual pleasure. And so I thought, well, here's a passage we ought to hear as people enjoy, as it were, the poisoned steak for a season. The wicked man blindly blunders into the trap of the irresistible prostitute. Sexual freedom. Proverbs chapter 7, all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver and a bird rushes into the snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. It will cost him his soul in eternity. The wicked do not have the earth. We could look at other issues. If you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, those who live under the sun, 
stashing the way of material wealth, making plans uh, for further self-indulgence into the future. And James responds, he says, Come now you who say, today and tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. Folk, Solomon discovered that pursuit of life under the sun is meaningless. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You know what counts? And he discovered that and he shares it with us in, at the end of the book in chapter 12, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God. Fear God. But God is in the picture. Don't think you can exclude God. Don't think I can exclude God. God is in the picture. Fear God. We're accountable to God. Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. You see, the wicked man prefers created things over and above the creator. And again, if I could quote this brother, and, and it, it breaks, it should, it breaks our hearts. The fat of the earth will but make him fry and blaze the more in hell. That is scary of our loved ones. How do the saints have the earth and the blessing of the earth? Well, the saints enjoy the earth as a pledge of God's love because the curse and the poison is taken from the earth. Psalm 37, the reference back to this beatitude, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Augustine said this, wicked men may delight themselves in the abundance of cattle and riches, but the meek man delights himself in the abundance of peace with God, yeah, and forevermore. And then we need to add, it's not just the earth that the meek will inherit, but also heaven. This is the, the, the upside of today's message. We will inherit the heaven, heavens and the earth. It, it cannot just be the earth, says the preacher Chrysostom. He says, as the meek have the earth as their, listen to these words. How do the meek have the earth? As their sojourning house. It's the B&B. They have heaven. We have heaven as our mansion house. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Folk, how do I end this message? For me, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of death? And, and I wonder this morning, how do you respond? How do you respond to these standards that God sets? These goals that he has in place that we ought to be sanctified towards. Understanding your own heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. I'm challenged. That's why I put the title of this message. Challenged. When I started preparing it, I didn't want to preach it. I need, I think all of us, most of us need a greater presence of the meekness 
described here as a Christian virtue. It does take us back. It must take us back to spiritual poverty. It must take us back to mourning. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Where will I find escape? Where do I find help? Who will guide me? Who will rescue me? Who will save me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Points us to Jesus. Points us to the gospel. It points us to his atoning death. It, it, it points us to the exchange. His righteousness for my sinfulness. He will deliver us from this body of sin and death. Lord, we do pray. And indeed, again, the revelation through the prophet Jeremiah that sometimes your word is like a hammer and a fire. And I've certainly felt that this week, Lord, this hammering away at my own heart and life. But I do pray that as I respond, as any of us respond, that it would be as those who seek, Lord, to be molded into the likeness of our beloved Jesus. And so we commend each other to you, praying that your spirit would continue his work as we pray this, that he would be glorified forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.